0: It's been really good to spend these days with you. We've had a lot of amazing things taking place. You know, we heard tonight about people who gave their lives to Jesus. We've seen people healed, seen a lot of people set free of spiritual, emotional, mental things that were holding them captive so a nice beginning on being the freedom getting place you know now now we're getting close to the time where uh it's time to go home and do your laundry <laughs> some of you have to get up and go to work tomorrow or go to school maybe a class although maybe some of the some some people are on half-term break, aren't they? So, we're not counting you. <laughs> you know, I just wanted to encourage you, you know, sometimes, just, just keep in mind, sometimes the Spirit of God moves even more powerfully in the quiet times than in the loud times. Don't be afraid of Silence. Don't be afraid of the quiet times. I felt like today, you know, tonight especially, we kept feeling a pull towards quieter, a quietness. And, And that can be a really good thing and a really powerful thing for us to be a part of. So don't be afraid of the quietness either. It's all part of, you know, sort of the full range of how God works in our lives. Don't be afraid of that. And as you go, like, to the rest of your life, you know, you you go back home and you go to work or you go to school or whatever it is that, that you're looking at this coming week, understand that the Holy Spirit goes with you. You don't leave him behind here. He goes with you. And, once more, he goes ahead of you. You know, uh, Wherever you're going, he's already working there. And he's preparing people, situations, things that you might enter into them at some point. So you go there, and it's a different mode. You know, it's we're not all together. We're scattered. You You have responsibilities. You're doing things. But just... Keep your eyes and ears and heart open. Because the work of following him isn't just when we gather together. You know, it's also when we are scattered and we're doing other things. You know, uh, Jesus says, My Father is always working, He's always working. And. What we want to do is get in on what he's always doing. There's somebody around you. Maybe a number of somebody. Somebody needs healing. Somebody needs freedom. Somebody just needs Jesus. Somebody needs a friend. Somebody needs hope. There's somebody in your life that needs you. And... It won't necessarily be every day. But somewhere down the line, God will introduce you to those people. He will guide you to them. You know, and we, in these times we gather, we try to learn, and we, and we get more sensitive, we get filled with the Spirit. But the point is for what happens next. You know, and so I just want to encourage you, as we're wrapping thing this weekend, this incredible weekend up, there is a next and this, this time that we've had together is just a means to that greater end of a, a lifetime of walking into all the things that God has prepared for you. You know, in, in the scripture it says, God has prepared works for us to do which he prepared before the foundation of the world. So I like to wake up every day and say, God, I'm ready for whatever you've prepared for me today. And some days it's not very much, fortunately. Because, you know, we still need our rest. And we need to do the ordinary things of life. But some days there's surprising things that happen. So you just have to be ready. So that was free. That's not part of the talk. That's just... That's just your grandpa having a little chat with you. (laughs) You know, I grew up in church. My father was a pastor. My grandfather was a pastor. When I was a teenager, I vowed, I will never be a pastor. (laughs) You can see how that worked out. You got to watch out for your nevers. God listens. (laughs) You know, and a lot of the times... being in that church was actually pretty normal. You know, it's just, it wasn't a very big church. And, uh, but it was a Pentecostal church, so we got together three times a week. You know, commitment for them was three times a week, not three times a month. (laughs) Three times a week. And there was a lot of eating together and lots of potlucks and a lot of coffee. You know, and that was a big part of our life together. And then when the weather was warm, it was a lot of picnics and a lot of barbecues and, and outside stuff. And that was just, that was kind of the life. It was just, it was a community of people helping each other get through life. You know, grieving together over the hard things, celebrating together over the positive things. And that is an important part of our life together as, as a people is it's just better doing it together. But sometimes... Something happened that wasn't like that. You know, the rest of the time it could be kind of boring for a teenager. Like, it's always the same. They sing the same songs every week out of the one book that we had back then. Because that was before we had, you know, all the stuff we have now. But sometimes somebody would get healed. Or you'd have that moment when it felt like God is in the room and the air just feels heavy. And that always stuck out to me. You'd feel like, oh, there's more to this than first meets the eye. I think, you know, a lot of people have experienced church as more of a religious social club where it's just the one side of the the equation. We get together, we help each other. Or maybe it's like just another charity trying to help the community. But that was never enough for me there wasn't enough to motivate me to give my whole life to it. I needed something more. And I think actually Jesus wants more from his church. He wants that, he wants that part, but he wants more. I would argue that Jesus wants his church to exhibit a life that's beyond human explanation. You know, we're meant to live a life that can't be explained by us. If it's just our effort. Just our work, just our charisma, if we happen to have any. <laughs> that's, that's not any different than, you know, Disney. And Disney always is going to do a better job. You know, there's got to be something else that makes us stand out. Something beyond human explanation. I think that's what Jesus wants. Let me show you what I mean. Turn to the book of Acts chapter 1. Now, this is after the resurrection. Jesus has been raised from the dead. His disciples have gathered. He hasn't left yet, but he's getting ready to leave. So it's kind of a last instructions kind of time. There's 40 days during which he has to get, download to them everything they need. And so that's where we pick up the story. In verse 4, Acts 1-4, on one occasion... But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then in Acts chapter 2, it actually happens. Verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting, And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Few observations. First of all, the mission was basically on hold until they got power from heaven. It's like, don't even try doing this, don't even start. He's not intending for it to be merely human effort. And he wants us to wait for power from on high so that it won't be just human effort. Don't start until then. You know, it's it's interesting the things he doesn't say. He doesn't say, go back and try to be good citizens so everybody will like you. He he doesn't say... um, Study real hard and try to be persuasive or more culturally relevant. Buy whatever's in fashion. It used to be skinny jeans. I don't know what you call these jeans you guys have now. <laughs> you know, he doesn't say any of that stuff. You know, what, what, he's, what they need is power from heaven. You know, he doesn't send them back to have a big strategy meeting. And the, the interesting thing is if you read the rest of the book of Acts they never quite get to the big strategy meeting because the holy spirit keeps downloading his own strategy on them and they're just playing catch up all the time you know they never they never get quite around to that it's it's i always like to describe it as like the difference between rowing and sailing when you're rowing you're doing all the work and you're going to get tired and you're not going to get very far but when you're sailing the wind does the work and it carries you far and you don't get tired. And so when the power comes from heaven, it's like the wind filling your sails. So that's what we need. And that means something has to happen to us before it can happen through us. Second, they were, he said, to be completely filled. The word he uses, is baptized. They were to be baptized in this power from heaven. So that word baptism means to be dunked, surrounded by, you know, completely inundated with, overwhelmed with. He's not talking about a nice little taste that's nice and safe. He's not talking about a toe in the water. He's talking about a situation where the Holy Spirit comes and takes full control of your life. That is what he's looking for. And, of course, when the Spirit came, how did he come? With a roar, with wind and fire, and a strange new kind of power and prayer. You know, it was all much bigger than they were, and it changed everything for them forever. That's what happened to me. 35 years ago, I was in an empty warehouse with two friends, where the Vineyard Church met on Sundays, but nobody was there except the three of us. And the Holy Spirit came on me, and the next thing I know, there was fire going up and down my body. Like in wave after wave after wave. Eventually my friends just left me there with God. Apparently they concluded that they couldn't do anything to stop it or help it, so they just left. At one point I heard somebody yelling, and I was thinking, who's that yelling? And then realized that was me. You know, it went for three and a half hours. I thought I was going to die. But nothing was ever the same again. After that, all kinds of things started taking place in my life. Things I never thought were going to happen. Surprising things, amazing things. And that's part of the deal. That when he comes... Even whether it's like that or more quietly, he comes to carry us into something—a whole new life that's different than what we thought. Third, this power is for everybody. There's 120 people in this on the, at that prayer meeting that day, and they were a bunch of ordinary people. They were all Jews. But they were otherwise very different. One was a tax collector, essentially a Roman collaborator, so that's one end of the political spectrum. One had been a zealot. He was trying to kill Romans. He's the opposite end of the political spectrum. What does God do? He says, Oh, come together and be brothers. (laughs) You know, they're all there. It's both men and women. And it's for everybody. It's not just for the eleven apostles. It's for ordinary, everybody else. It's for everybody. For if the mission goes forward by the operation of this power, what you see going forward from this day is that it says again and again, so-and-so filled by the Holy Spirit did this. So-and-so filled by the Holy Spirit did this. It's sort of like the Spirit leads people into doing things that they otherwise wouldn't have done. That's the life beyond human explanation. And it's really essential if we're going to have an enduring and vibrant faith. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This is a letter that's written by the Apostle Paul, who was a great missionary and planter of churches, to the believers in in the city of Corinth, which is in Greece. Now, if you go back and trace his travels, which are outlined in the book of Acts, you'll see that just before he went to Corinth, he had been in Athens. And when he was in Athens, which was the center, it was the cultural center of the world at that time, he goes to the center of the center, to the place where all the philosophers and the cultural, you know, elites hung out. And he tried to make common ground with them. And tried to kind of, you know, see if we could, you know, if if he could make a, build a bridge to them by kind of, Um, meeting them, you know, changing the meaning of some of what they did. But as soon as he started talking about Jesus and how Jesus was crucified, they laughed him out of town. It was a disaster. Um, A couple of people gave their lives to Jesus, but basically it didn't work. And there are no letters written to the church in Athens. So then he goes next to Corinth and he changes strategy dramatically. And that's what he's talking about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. Now, this is one of the most educated, you know, clever men of the ancient world. But this is what he says. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved... but on God's power. If you want to have unshakable faith, it's got to be founded on the demonstration of the Spirit's power and not on human wisdom. If you can get talked into it, you can get talked out of it. You see? About 30 years ago, one of our university students near our church brought his Jewish friend with them to church. And his friend kept coming with him. And when he came, he saw all kinds of things, like what we've seen this week. He saw people getting healed. He saw people getting set free. He saw the power of God moving on people, sometimes quietly, sometimes really dramatically and not quiet. He saw it all and eventually gave his life to Jesus, recognized that Jesus was the true Messiah, and began to call on Jesus When his Orthodox Jewish parents found out about this, they were horrified. So when the term break came over the summer, and he went home, they cut off all contact between him and everybody at school and everybody in our church. For three months, we heard nothing. Finally, at the end of the three months, he comes back for school, and he turns back up at the church, And we asked him, what happened? And he said, well, they locked me in the house, and for three months, they brought all kinds of famous and highly educated rabbis from all over the country to 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 talk to me about why I shouldn't believe in Jesus and why I shouldn't follow Jesus. And they brought some people specializing in deprogramming people from cults. And, I mean, they pulled out all the stops. And we said, and uh, what happened? And he said, well, you know, I couldn't, like, answer all their arguments. Like, he found himself in, you know, really detailed arguments about biblical prophecy and law and grace and all kinds of stuff that really he hadn't studied yet. And he says, I I couldn't out-argue them. He says, but in the end... I couldn't deny what I've seen and heard. That's what it came down to. Couldn't deny what he would seen and heard. That guy's, I know him. He's been following Jesus for the last 30 years. Okay? Nothing could stop him because his faith was unshakable. That's what he's talking about here. That's what we need in our time. That's why the church has to be supernatural in its life and mission. And when that starts to happen, there's no telling where where it can lead. I think we have enough time. I want to tell you a little story. We'll finish with this. This is a story from 300 years ago. 300 years ago, there was a count in Germany, in in a province of Germany, who who invited a bunch of persecuted people Protestant believers from an area called Moravia to come and build a community where they could worship in freedom on his land. And a couple two or three hundred people gathered on his place, and they built a new community called Hernhut. And they built a church, they built their houses. And it seemed like everything was going to be great, but when they got there, they found out that while they all agreed that the Pope was going to hell, (laughs) that was how they talked in those days, um, they had many other things they didn't agree about. They began to find that they had different ideas about exactly how communion should be done and which songs should be sung. You know how it is. You worship guys, you know, you know, you introduce a new song and half the people say, let's sing that every week. And the other half say, let's never sing that again. You know, uh, it's, it's just the nature of people to find different things to disagree, but they started disagreeing about things. And pretty soon they started polarizing. And the next thing you know, they're saying, they're calling each other sons and daughters of the devil and, and judging each other as like not being true believers. And at which point, the count, who's a politician, not a clergyman, is really upset because this is not what he was bargaining for when he offered them this place. So he comes and spends several weeks, and the way they described it was rebuking them for their pride and their selfishness. And so they started to pray and just ask God, like, we're going to need some help here because we're we're in in a mess. And shortly thereafter, the help came. And the exact date was recorded. It was August 13th, 1727. It was a Sunday. They were gathered together. They were having their worship. And suddenly, the Spirit of God fell on their little group. And when he came, the next thing they knew, the worship people couldn't sing. They were unable to speak. And they started collapsing down onto their knees and some laid out on the floor. You know, I'm just waiting for that to happen again one day. You know, and then and then uh, it spread to the whole rest of the community and people started shaking and crying and people falling down and and, you know, incredible things began to happen. And one of the ways they described it is like, It was like we went to heaven. We weren't sure whether we had been in heaven or we were still on earth because it was so glorious, this presence of the Lord. And they said, from that day forward, not a day passed, but we beheld the hand of God at work in our midst. Signs and wonders. And it started with reconciliation. God began convicting them of their judgments and their failures to love each other as Christ would call them to. And they began to reconcile with one another. And that began to change the whole atmosphere of the place. And they started this prayer meeting. That was a 24-hour-a-day prayer meeting. They would take turns praying for an hour. And they, everybody took turns, and it would go all night long. That prayer meeting continued for over a century. That's one long prayer meeting. And the interesting thing is, in addition to that prayer meeting, one of the guys writing his diary says, We, everyone desired that the Holy Spirit would have full control. That the Holy Spirit would have full control. And they were so hungry to be with God and to hear the preaching of the Bible, he says, that we had to have three services every day, namely at five in the morning, at seven in the morning, and nine at night, because, of course, they all still had jobs. So I always say, take note, those of you praying for revival. <laughs> you might find yourself having three services a day <laughs> at the crack of dawn. So in the, as they were in the prayer meetings, the Lord eventually began to speak to them about the forgotten people of the world. Like the Holy Spirit comes, and he sets us free, and he heals us up. But then he gets, then the, then the direction changes. He fills us with his power, and then he starts sending us places. And so God began speaking to them about the forgotten people of the world. And the first ones he talked to them about were the African slaves on the Caribbean on the sugar plantations. Now, I don't, I don't know if you guys have studied this. But the conditions on the sugar plantations at that particular point in time were about the most horrific conditions ever invented by mankind. It was absolutely horrible. And the life expectancy of the people on the plantations was incredibly short. They died like flies. And God said, you need to go share the love of Jesus with those people. And when they... Asked for permission to go to the sugar plantations, the plantation owners did not want to let them come. Because if you preach the gospel of Jesus to the slaves, they won't think like slaves anymore. (laughs) They did not think that was a good idea. They said, We're coming, no matter what. So they finally said, If you won't let us come that way, we will sell ourselves into slavery and we'll come to the sugar plantation as slaves. And uh, two of them got right up to the brink. And then I think the plantation owners backed down. But they, they were ready to go. And over the next year or two, they sent, you know, several dozen um, people to the plantations from their little community. Of whom only two ever returned alive. Next, the Lord began speaking to them about the indigenous peoples of North America, um, And they began to send wave after wave after wave across the Atlantic, to the southeastern part of the United States, to the Chickasaw and the Cherokee people. And uh, you know, they, there was a, a lot of work that happened there, and then eventually, they sent people to Africa. They sent people to the Muslim world. Like, everywhere there were people that nobody else was valuing, every every place where people were forgotten, that's the ones that the Holy Spirit was sending them to. And they went fearlessly, one, again, and again, and again. So people were coming, they were getting filled, they became a part of this thing, and then they were going. And interestingly, on one of their trips across to America, there was a huge storm that came up. And it was so ferocious, even the sailors were afraid. Everybody's terrified. But the Moravians were completely calm, singing their hymns, and in between, helping everybody else. And there was a man on that ship, a young man who was also on his way to America, who saw them and was super impressed by what he saw. His name was John Wesley. Well, long story short... That sent him on a spiritual journey, and he ended up at a Moravian prayer meeting in London where he himself experienced his share of that initial outpouring which came on him then, out of which then he started the Methodist movement which planted churches all over this land and all over America and even unto the rest of the world by the hundreds of thousands of churches. So what started with 200 people went around the world. That is a life beyond human explanation. That's what God wants for us. Interested? Here's how I'd like to finish. I'd like to just put this, just a little experiment, just put a little bit of this in practice tonight. So, You know, one of the things that immediately happened when the Holy Spirit came on people is they started to heal the sick. And, of course, that's what Jesus did. You know, when you think about what did Jesus do, he healed the sick. So what I want to do is I want to pray for you to be empowered to heal the sick. How about that? So let's stand. Now, here's the deal. Now, some of you might not know exactly how to receive... So I'll try to walk you through it a little bit. Number one, um, it really helps if you put your hands out like this. Because if you're going to have healing power, it's going to be in your hands. Because the way you heal people is by putting your hands on them. You have to touch them. So, you know, it's sort of like God's going to charge you up like a battery. So you can then discharge with people who are sick. Okay, so that, and that's going to come through your hands. Um, now the second thing is, you need to relax, because you're receiving a gift. You can't make this happen. You, you, so no deals with God. Now I know about half of you are saying, oh God, I want something dramatic to happen. And the other half of you are saying, oh God, please don't let something dramatic happen to me. But you don't get to choose. <laughs> He'll do both. Some people will have dramatic things and some people will have less dramatic things, but you don't get to pick. He picks. And third, it's going to wait. We have to wait a little bit. So I'll invite the spirit to come and then we'll wait. And as we wait, he'll start to move and things will get stronger as we wait. So you kind of have to be patient with this process. Are you ready? All right. Holy Spirit, I just invite you to come now and release healing power, the power to heal the sick in the hands of the people who are here. Whether they've done this before or never have done this before. Here are our hands to be used by you to do things beyond human explanation. Fill them with power, Lord. Now we wait.